the promise of the Zoyar and the tragic passing of Reb Shamshan. What was that? One? Okay. So Reb Shamshan of Osropolia was one of the greatest Kabbalists. He was born roughly around 1600. And he died, he was murdered by the Bogdan Khmelnytsky's gangs, the Cossacks, who th- swept through Ukraine and part of Poland and Lithuania in the mid-1600s, particularly the years 1648-1649, and known as Tach Vetat, Tovches and Tovtes of the Jewish calendar. The truth is, there's actually another set of years called Kach Vekat, exactly 300 years before. In uh, 1348 and 1349 was the horrible saga of the the Black Plague. Uh, Millions of people died throughout Europe, and of course the blame was pointed towards the Jews because apparently the percentage-wise, some didn't die, but the, the ratio wasn't exact. It seems like the Jews poisoned the wells, they claimed. Many say the reason Alpiteva, why the Yidin um, had a much smaller percentage of fatalities is because we were cleaner than the average guy, always washing our hands in the morning, right, before we eat. There's always the washing, and, uh, and that, that could have helped. And also, we also, Baruch Hashem, have an Eibishter in heaven, and he probably helped too. But Al Kaponim, the Goyim retaliated, and throughout Europe they killed tens of thousands of Jews in the year 1348 and 1349. So that's known as Kach Vekat, Kufches and Kuftes, the year 5000 Ura. This is the. I'm age 15. No, 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 there should be. There's enough. There's enough. There's enough. Okay. So 300 years after that, exactly 300 years, the Abishta's wrath is awakened again. And the Chemonisky massacre, 1648-1649. And Abshamshan of Ostropolia was murdered. Um, third day of Av, tonight. And uh, let's look at number one. This is the entry of the Chidon in his Sefer Shem Hagdolim. What does he say about Abshamshan of Ostropolia? From the city of Ostropolia, but that's not where he died. He says, Hu HaKadosh, he's a holy man, Chibur Kama Chiburim BeKabbalah, made many works in Kabbalah. K'moshe Hizkir, who himself mentions in his, in his introduction to his Sefer, Don Yodin. That's a Kabbalah, that's a Sefer, and in his introduction, Rabbi Shamshin mentions many works that he wrote. V'hoya loy Magid. He had a Magid. A Magid is a spiritual being, whether it's a soul from heaven or an angel that comes to learn with you. There were many people over time that had a Magid. The Baal Shem Tev had a Magid for 10 years. Achia Hashiloni came to him and taught him for 10 years from when the Baal Shem Tev was 26. Yeah, yeah, until he was 36. The Baal Shem Tev said Achia Hashiloni began with the word Bereshis and it took them 10 years until they finished Zoy Sabrocha. Kol Yisrael. They spent 10 years learning the Chumash and, uh, and that was it. Then Rachi Shaloni said, I'm leaving, now it's time for you to take over. And when the Baal Shem Tov was 36 is when he revealed himself. So he had a Magid. In fact, this was one of the core disputes between the Vilna Gaon, between the Mesnagdim and the Chassidim. What was it that uh, um, irked the Vilna Gaon, or at least 
had him not find favor, that Chassidus didn't find favor in the eyes of the Vilna Gaon. So there were many issues, there were many issues. One of them is the fact that Chassidus is so much built on the Baal Shem Tov receiving revelations from heaven. The Vilna Gaon said about himself, he was offered, a Magid came to him from heaven and he refused it because he wanted his learning to be his own accomplishment, his own toil. And this is what, thank you, the Litvishes pass on. And it's an interesting, uh, another root cause of the debate. It was a, an altruistic debate, you know. You could really talk about that all night. And Fabreng, you know. Should the gates of heaven be openly open? Or the Abishta wants us, you know, within the darkness of this world to create our own light? Etc. Rabbi Yosef Kara had a Magid, and Rabbi Yosef Kara wrote a whole sefer about uh, the teachings that he learned from the Magid. Says the Chidor of Shamshan as well. Rabbi Yosef Kara learned from the Magid? No, no, he had a Magid that ah, came. He had a Magid that came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Magid, a Magid, sorry. Vahoya Bizman Hagoin Mereina Yeshua Mikrako. We're going to see who this fellow was, Rabbi Yeshua of Krako, the Rav Pnei Yeshua Shailus Atshuvis. That means there's two Pnei Yeshuas. There's the Pnei Yeshua on Gomorrah, and there's his grandfather who authored the response to Pnei Yeshua, and we'll talk about him soon. But says the Chidok Moshetira Bilikutim Shebesefer Anisker, and you'll see in the safe we mentioned Don Yodin that he lived at that time. In fact, they, were, they died the exact same year. This Rabbi Shu of Krakow died in 1648, and so did Rabbi Shamshan was killed in the year Tavches, 1648, and it was today, it was the 3rd of Av. When he stood in Shul, he was wrapped in Sitzes and Tfilm. I'm going to see more about this. But first, I just want to share with you two ide- two vertalach of Reb Shamshan, unbelievable stuff. Just to get a, a bit of a feeling of who he was. And uh, we have some fascinating things to see throughout this year. I hope you enjoy. Look at number two. This is from the Rebbe's Igris. It's a letter the Rebbe wrote in relatively his early years to Rabbi Gringlas, Reb Zev Wolf Gringlas, who lived in Montreal. Rabbi Gringlas was a Tomim in the branch of Temchitmimim in Atvotsk, in Poland, near Warsaw, and then he came to Montreal, and he was a mashpi in the yeshiva, and uh, all the bochum say miraculous stories about the fellow. He was a chsida shiid, and he uh, dabbled in Kabbalah, definitely to some degree. Yeah, let's hear. uh, Any specifics? Can you share any specifics? They say he would be able to tell if a bocher missed parts of davening or this or that. Or I heard from one guy that he told him what happened to Brochus this morning. So the bocher said, "I said it." He said, "Yeah, but you weren't wearing a hat and jacket." Yeah. You don't have to be a Kabbalist. <laughs> 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 yeah, there was a Maima Kubel. Stories. I heard you used to daven fast. <laughs> <clears throat> some Kabbalists daven fast, some daven slow. That's right. Some don't There was actually a Lubavitcher Chassid a couple decades ago in Yerushalayim, Reb Moshe Weber. Moshe Weber was a Mashpia in the Yeshiva Teiras Emes where I learned in Yerushalayim, but uh, he was there well before me. 
And he was once walking down the street in Yerushalayim and there was a bocher holding his hand, you know, escorting him. And the bocher's out of the corner of his eye, he saw a sign, you know, an advertisement that was an inappropriate picture. It was Mamash out of the corner of his eye. Moshe Webb was on the other side of him, just holding his hand. Instantaneously, instantly, Moshe Webb turns and gives him a little flask on his cheek. He was able to feel. He was able to feel. Anyhow, okay. So this is a letter number two that the Rebbe writes to Rabbi Gringlas. It's in the first volume of the Rebbe's Igris. And the Rebbe is discussing a Torah of Rabbi Shamshan Ostropolia. And it's an incredible measure. She says, Mamash, unbelievable. The sheer itself is worth it just for this. Yep. Number two, says that a Bilikutim Yukarim in the precious uh, collections of Nemotin, page 38, it says, Rabbi Abla of Vilna, Rabbi Abla of Vilna was one of the greatest scholars in Vilna in the times of. Uh, he was alive during the times of the Vilna Gom, but he was much younger, so he was kind of the next generation. And he met up with the Tzemach Sedek, and he was actually incredibly impressed with the Tzemach Sedek. And he told the Tzemach Sedek, you're a young man, how do you know so much? And the Tzemach Sedek said, I received the bracha from my grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, that anything I learned once, I never forget. And Rabbi Abba told him, I want to tell you a story. He said, I was once in the Vilna, outside the Vilna Gom study, and a misnagid came in with a big piece of paper. And the paper was a cheyrim against the chsidim, saying you could harm the chsidim. And there were lots of signatures. And they got the Vilna Gon to sign. And then they asked me, says Rabbi Abba, to sign. And Rabbi Abba, they said, even the Vilna Gon, who's an angel of Hashem, signed. So Rabbi Abba said, I told them, listen, when it came to the Akedah, when it came to Shecht Yitzchak, the Eibishti himself spoke to Avram. When it came to save Yitzchak, an angel came to teach you what? When it comes to save a Jew, you can hear from an angel. When it comes to harm a Jew, you've got to hear from God himself. So it could be the Vilna Gons like an angel, but when it comes to harming Gidon, I'm not ready to sign. Said so this Rabbi Abba has another story here. He asked that Samach Sedek Pshat in the following Medrash. The Talmidim asked Rebbe, there's different versions if they ask Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi or Rabbi Shub and Levi. How many names does God have? He responds, Rachmana Libaboy, God wants your heart. Simply that means why are you dabbling, delving into the names of God? God wants you to serve him wholeheartedly. Then Amruloi, but they weren't finished. They said, Three are out of order, one's in order. Very strange. What are they asking? And he answers to them, <laughs> God's name is true. God's name is truth. The Gemara says, <laughs> The Abish signet ring is truth. Hashem Alekim Emes, the Abish is, is truth. That's the end of the Medrash. It doesn't make any sense. They ask him, How many names does Hashem have? He says, God wants your heart. Why are some of them one order, one's in the other order? He says, God's name is truth. <laughs> this is what you call a medrash plea. It doesn't make, it's a wonder, it doesn't make any sense. Now, there's in another version of the medrash, it has the following. Look at number three. That the teacher, Rebbe, responds to them that, yes, he quoted this postage from Kohelis. Yes, echad ve'ein sheni, gam ben va'ach ein loy. <coughs> That 
yesh echad, simply the pasuk means you have a person who works very hard to make, to make guilt. The ain shane, he does it by himself, no help. In addition, gam ben va'achin, he has no brother, no son to enjoy his riches. That's what Shlomo Melech is talking about. Somehow, in some selfish, versions... Selfish? No, no, whatever, it's just somebody works so hard. No, and he just doesn't have anyone to share it with. You know, it's just a... Shloim is just reflecting on... Uh, you know, Kehelis is just... Re- Shloim Amelech's in his old age, and he's reflecting on, uh, you know, the... Bali. Intricacies. Bali everything about life, right. <coughs> the vicissitudes of life. Wow. Ah. But look, ah. So what in the world does this medrash mean? And especially if you throw in this posseg from Kahelis. So that to go back to number two, the Debit says that Samach Sedek told Rabbi Abela al-Derech Hanal. He quoted him the answer of Rabbi Shamshin. What's the answer of Rabbi Shamshin? Un- unbelievable. You ready? You guys will be ready for this. How many names does God have? So in Nigla he has this name Tzvois, there's Shin Dalud Yud, there's Aleph Dalud Nun Yud, there's Elohim. In Kabbalah, there's four names. There's the Shem Ab, Shem Sag, Ma, and Ban. What are these names? They're all the Yud K Vav K, Beis Nun. They're all the Yud, the Yud K Vav K. But if you spell out the letters like Yud Vav Dalit for the Yud, then the Hey is a Hey Yud. If you, depending on how your Mamala, you fill in the letters, you'll get a Gematria either of 45, which is Shem Mem Hey, or 52, which is Ban, 52, or 63, which is Sag, or 72, which is Shem Ab. So the four letters, the four names of Hashem and Kabbalah are all from the Yud Ke Vav Ke, depending on how you spell the full Yud Ke Vav Ke. Is it Yud Vav Dalad, and is it Hey Hey Yud or Hey Aleph? You know, how to, and depending on how you do that, you get four variations. So there's four names. If you add the Shem Ab, Sag, Ma and Ban, add all four together, you get 232. That's the Rosh Tevis of Rachmana Libaboy. So in other words, the, student, the students asked, Rebbe, how many names does God have? So when he says, God wants your heart, the Rosh Tevis, Rachmana Libaboy, Rej Lamed Beis, 232 is the total of Ab, Sag, Man, Ban. If you work it out, you'll see. Oh, guess if, but then they ask, wait a second. Three out of the four names are in one order. One is the other way. Shame Ab, the Ayin is the big number, the 70. The base is the two. Sag, first 60, then three. Ma, first 40, then five. But the Ban first has the two and then the 50. All the others have the big number, the tens, and then the single digit. One of them, Ban, is the small two and then the 50. Why is that? So he told them, he quoted the Pasuk in Kehelis. Well, he said, because God's name is true, right? God's name is true. What does it mean true? MS is Gematria 441. Aleph Memsaf 441, which is nine. You put it together as nine. Nine is the true number. Nine is the true number, right? Any multiple of nine, you add the digits, you get to nine. There's so many combinations. If you take any single number there is and you flip the order of the digits and you minus the smaller from the higher, you'll also get a multiple of nine, etc., etc. There's so many different things that there are with the number nine. In fact, the Arizal says nine is the highest number. How so? 
imagine you have uh, every number. With, let's say it has five. Let's say it has five digits. What? Okay. Well, so the Arizal says nine, because ten is really one. But if you had a graph, it's one in the column of Assyrius of tens. It's one group of ten. A hundred is one, just in the next column of the hundreds, right? Imagine if you have a number of ten digits, there's ten different columns, and a one is just one point of that column. Nine is the highest that there is. Nine is truth, because MS is 441 is nine. Ah, so Rebbe's telling the students, you, the Abish's names have to get you to nine. Ab is 70 plus two. 72 is, seven plus nine. two is nine. Sag, 60 plus 3 is? 9. Good. Ma, 40 and 5 nine, is? Nine. What about Nab? What would Nab be? Nun is 50 and... 7. seven. seven. So you've got to oh. do Ban. Why? Ban. Because Toph is 400. But then you take the final letters. There's Man Sapach. Final Mem is worth 500. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I mixed a chaf. No, 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 I mixed a chaf. The, the final chaf is worth 500. A final mem is six. A final nun is Seven. 700. So ban is two and 700 gets you nine. That's why it had to be backwards. So, so this is how he, what? It's really seven, not five? Nab, 50 plus two would get you seven. Ban, a final nun is worth 700. No, the value of Schloss nun is 7 in Gematria. 700, 700, 700. yeah. Yeah, well, after Toph, you go to the final letters, Man Sapach, the final letters, and each one goes another 100. Oh, There's so, a million ways to calculate. Yeah, yeah. Gematria, everything works. No, 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 so look at number 3, you're not going to believe this. Number 3, he says, this is the Pshat and Koheles. Yesh Echad Ve'ein Sheni. Yesh Echad, Yesh means the bigger number, Echad is first. Ain means what isn't, meaning the smaller number is Shani is second. So by three of the names, the bigger one comes first. Shem Ab, first you have the 70. Sag, first the 60. Ma, first the 40. But Gam Ban, if you're going to do the same thing by Shem Ban, have the base first. Och Ain Lay doesn't have nine. Och is Gematria nine. It's not going to have the nine. Och ein it's not going to have the nine. Got the <laughs> Gam ben, if you're going to do the same thing by the ben and have the nun first, you're not going to have the pshamshan of Ostropolia. Och ein you're not going to have the nine. And that's why it had to be flipped. And that's how he learns this measure. Unbelievable. Anyhow, so you see that Samach said they quoted the same vart. That... Uh, yeah, this vart to Rabbi Abula. Rabbi Abula, who had asked Samach said the pshat in the medrash, he quoted uh, at least part of this vort of Reb Shamshan Ostropolia. So you see the, the, the origin, to come up with such a thing, the originality, and the way it, it flows in that posthuk in Koheles is absolutely unbelievable. That's one vort from Reb Shamshan. And he's full of these incredible uh, you know, lightning ideas. Another one, we'll just do one more. Number four is a Rashi in Chumash that everybody knows. In Parshish Vayechi, Yankiv gets together his family. And he tells them, I want to tell you what's going to happen in the end of days. Then he goes away, no? Exactly, exactly. So Rashi says in number four, wanted to reveal the end. But the Shechina left him. And therefore, he spoke other things. He benched, he benches the sons. He doesn't tell them what's going to happen in the end of days like he told them he would. 
And Rashi is quoting from the Gemara Psachim and the Medrash Rabbafine. Says of Shamshan, unbelievable. When the brothers sold Yosef, which is how we got to Egypt, what name of God did they stain? They stained the name Eke, Aleph, He, Yud, He. How do we know? Because in Pasha Shmois, when Moshe asks Hashem, I'm going to go to the Jews in Egypt, they're going to ask me, what's God's name? And, I, and Hashem said, my name is Ek. In other words, that's the name that they're rectifying by being in Mitzrayim. Right? The Reb actually has a whole sikha saying, when Moshe told God, the Jews will ask me, what's your name? You know what Moshe was saying? And the Rebbe cried throughout the sikha. It was a Shabbos sikha in the early 70s. And the Rebbe said that, Moshe said, I'm going to come to the Jews, and they're going to say, now God, now God heard us after all these years. What's the name of God? What type of God is he that he wakes up decades after decades of spilled Jewish blood? Now, now Johnny, come lately. As an incredible sikha, and the Rebbe explains what Hashem's answer was. But Akoponim, Hashem tells Moshe, the name of mine that they're rectifying by being in Egypt is the Eke, Eke Asher Eke, Aleph, Hey Yud Hey. Now, we got to Egypt because the brothers sold Yosef, right? So that was the name that was stained. Fine. What's the gematria of Eke? Aleph is one, hey, two hey's and a yud gets us 21. 21. 21. 21. So 26 is the yud kevavke. So how many brothers sold Yosef? But Pashtus, there were only nine because there are 12 shvatim. Binyamin wasn't there. He was by his father. Yosef was the victim. And Reuven wasn't there either, according to the Medrash and Rashi. So 12 minus 3 gets us 9. There are 9 brothers. So Yankov thinks there are 9 brothers. 9 of them stained the name Eke. What's 9 times 21? 189. So Yankov thinks, do you know how many years we're going to be in Egypt? 189 years. So when will we go out? in year 190, Ketz. So he says, Yankiv wanted to reveal the Ketz. Yankiv wanted to reveal that in the year Ketz, in the year Kuf Tzadik, you're going out. Because after 189 years, you're all done. Because nine brothers stained the Shemeke. But he forgot something. He forgot the Pirkei that Rebeleza says that the nine brothers huddled together. And they said they wanted to make a cherem no one could reveal to Yak. They needed a minion. So they brought God in. The Ebishter was involved in it. So the Abishta stained his own name. It's another 21 years. He forgot about that. And Taka, what's 189 plus 21? 210. 210. 189 plus 21. 210. That's exactly how many years we were there. We were there exactly 210 years. Exactly. Because there were 10 fellows that stained God's name. God's one of the 10, but Yankov didn't, wasn't going to accuse the Abishta. So he wanted to reveal Ketz in year 190 you're going out. But he didn't realize that the Abishta himself was involved in the deed. And therefore, there's another 21 years have to be added, which gets you to 210. Anyhow, say, and he has many of these types of unbelievable uh, ideas. Okay. And he was Nebuch, he was murdered tonight, tomorrow, the Gimel of, in 1648. He was in the city of Polna. Now, during those times of Chemelnitsky, the, the, this is not a history class, and I'm sure many of you know the details, that uh, there was an uprising. The peasants and the Cossacks throughout Ukraine wanted to overthrow the rulership of the Polish Peritzim, the Polish noblemen 
who were were the landlords, but they were you know missing in action. MIA. They were living in Poland. They were demanding rent, and the peasants were unable to cough up the money, and they were angry, and they wanted to overthrow the Polish landlords. In addition, there was also a religious fight because the Ukrainians, the Russians, they were Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox, and the Polish were Roman Catholic, and you know, there's no fight like a fight for the sake of God, right? And uh, here's the issue, that the Polish noblemen were living in Poland, so who was collecting their taxes? Who were their men on the field? It was the Eden. It was the Yidden. So the Yidden were the face. So it was. Uh, it began in the early 1640s. There was an uprising. A couple thousand Yidden were killed already then. And then 1648, 49 were the big years. How many people were killed? The Shach, the great Shach was alive then. We'll get to that soon. The great Shach was alive. And he wrote a little book, it's a couple pages, called Megillas Eifa. Megillas Eifa. And he writes about the atrocities and the horrible things. He says it was about 100,000. He gives a number, about 100,000 were killed. It wasn't just those two years, there was the years before and the year after, and it kept on going. You know, Chemonisky wasn't killed till a number of years later. Now in Ukraine, right, he's a big hero, right? He's, he's, the, he's the people's person although he caused the death of, uh, of who knows how many people. The truth is, Taka, who knows how many people, because the Shach gives a number 100,000. There was another person who was alive then, who was one of the great students of Reb Shamshin. His name was Nossen Nota Hanover. Nossen Nota Hanover. And he wrote a, so he was alive then, and he was a student of Reb Shamshin. And he wrote a sefer called Yevain Metzula. And in it, it's abs- he writes a bit of the history about Khmelnytsky and the uprising, and then he speaks about the atrocities and the massacres. It's printed, but you have to have a real stomach. Um, I don't know, should I repeat some of the things that are there? On the one hand, on the one hand, I've listened, on the one hand, you know, Zuchar you've got to know what happened. But it's mamish, it's mamish brutal stuff. You gotta know what happened. So we well, here. No stomach is, it might be better. What? No stomach might be better. Until, until 50 years ago, until whatever. People made more kinusim. We don't sell. Even after the Holocaust, some people yeah. made some kinusim. Yeah. Well, he writes, he says that they used to cut off the hands and the, and the men, uh, and the legs of, the, of Eden, and put them in the road and, uh, and get their wagons to see if they can get the wheels directly on the remaining goof. They would cut people and just let them bleed to death. A slow, painful this death. Is all because they didn't have television. But you have to understand that the, na- the Nazis did mass extermination. In 1648 and 49, everything was done by hand, one by one. And they would cut the stomachs of women open up the stomach and stick in animals and sew it back up. Oh, come on. Yeah. It's documented. It's documented. He writes it. He writes it. He was there. He saw it. He saw it. I mean, we have to know it. You imagine the, the horrible things. What? The Rabnosan Nota Hanover, who was a student of Rabshamshan Ostropolia. He was there. He lived through it. He saw. He saw. One cute story, <laughs> relatively cute. 
He says there were the women were forced into to marriages. There was one woman who was forced into marrying a Cossack, and one night they're sitting by the bonfire, and she tells him that she's a witch. He says, "No, nah, you're kidding." She says, "No, nah, I mean for real." She says, "I'll prove it. Take that spit that you have, keep it in the fire, boiling hot, and stick it through my heart. You'll see what happens. I'll survive." And he took this thing, he stuck it through her, and of course she died. That was her way to... Yeah. Yeah. There were women that would... feel right. There were women that would force into marriages. And, the, you know, on the day of the marriage, one of them was getting married by the water. And under the, you know, under the canopy, jumped into the water and drowned. And stories and stories, and uh, I won't tell you anymore. What was the reason for this? The basic like the same thing as uh, the Inquisition, the Crusades, the the the, the Black Plague, the Holocaust. And now, unfortunately, and now, it never ends. It never ends. Every book, every child, every Yoshka child killers. No, we killed Yoshka. No. Being taught, if you, you become a martyr, you kill a Jew. Yeah, yeah. And like this. Used to be eleven virgins. Now it's seventy-two. 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 I know because exactly. It's a kabbalistic. You see, it's a, it's a mystic. It's a kabbalistic number, by the way. You should know the Christians were big, in, were big in Kabbalah in the in the in the fifteen hundreds. Are doing the Muslims? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they in the Christian also they offer them big paradise. Whatever they offer them, whatever they offer them. They have to learn from somebody, you know. Yep. Anyhow, so. Reb Nasser Hanover, he gives a number about 80,000 people were killed. There were other Sfarim written by people that were there. There were many survivors. There's a Sefer Tzoy Koitim. There's a Sefer um, Titayoven. The Titayoven gives a number close to half a million. But people don't realize that was a higher percentage because there were less people. Yeah, yeah. The truth is so, that... You know, when yeah. you kill 100,000 from a million, it's 10%. Today... Yeah, yeah. well... It's, it's, Holocaust was about a third. More even. So there was a big percentage regardless. The modern academics, modern historians believe that all these numbers are an exaggeration. Some of them say it was only uh, 20, 30,000. They prove it because there weren't even 50,000 Jews in the whole Ukraine Mm. and Poland, Lithuania. And their proofs they have are very weak because if uh, the times of the Holocaust, there were millions and millions of Jews you know, in those areas, plus a couple more countries, then there definitely would have been more than 50,000 Jews. You're talking about Ukraine, Poland, Lithuania, the whole area. And um, the modern academics like, whenever they can, to disprove, you know, records of from a Jewish Eden. And um, fine, we'll leave it with that. But the, the, the records of the Rabbonim is tens and tens of thousands. Of Jews, it was absolutely horrible. <clears throat> but some of the greatest people of the time survived. The Toisvis Yomtev was alive then, and uh, he was actually a Rav in Krakow. The Toisvis Yomtev famously was earlier in Prague, Rabbi Yomtev Lipman Heller, and there was a whole saga with him in Prague. He was thrown into prison, and he was the Balabat, and whatever, you know. He was thrown into prison, almost murdered. He luckily escaped the town and he went to, to, he ended up going to Krakow in the end. He became a Rov in Krakow. 
And uh, he passed away in 1654, just a couple years after this. But during the saga, he was in Krakow. Tais was Yomtev. And he said, you know why this happened? He said, you know why this happened? I would never say this, but he said, oh, it's because people are talking in shul during oh, Davening. He said, you know why the 100,000 people died? It's because of all the chit-chatter in shul. That's what he said. He could have said anything. He said it was this. And he's, he made a famous Misha, a famous Misha Beirach of the Tesis Yomtev, that he would say that anyone that, you know, that davens and doesn't speak inside the shul will get all types of brachas and beautiful things. Well, you mentioned this during Shabbos for all the Sephardic uh, members that uh, don't stop The truth is that, that they say they that the Tesis Yomtev got this already from his teacher, the Maral of Prague, who made the Misha Beirach. But the Tesis Yomtev said that what happened in Tach Vatat was a result of all the chit-chatter in Shul. Now, B'chal, whenever a, 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 a Rav says, who can ever say, you know why 100,000 people died? It's because of this and this and this. You know, after the Holocaust, right, there were people that said, it's because you didn't reform, it's because of, you know why the Holocaust happened in Germany? Because 100 years before the Holocaust, you had reform and you have conservative and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and you had Do you some... know how many... Super ultra orthodox community evaporate on the first of the. Do you understand how many shuls do people who have a Torah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't accept it. We don't I accept know, I'm it. Saying. It's horrible, but, but you should know there were those that said it. Rabbi Vadya Yosef came out fire and brimstone against these opinions. How could you say such a thing, you know, similar to what the Rebbe, you know, and they had certain similarities. I will tell you that the Arizal, the Arizal said, that many of the Yidin that were killed by the Inquisition in Spain, and that was happening in his times, in the mid-1500s, he said it's because in their previous lifetimes, they were Yidin who had followed philosophy and had given up from Yiddishkeit because of rational, rationalistic philosophy. And therefore they came back and were killed by the Inquisition. That's the Dial Kiddush Hashem. Who says that? The Arizal. The Arizal. So, so you have times when the greatest Yidin took on themselves just to say the truth the way it is. Now, not, you know, the Toysus Yomtev is not the same as Darizal, but the fact is he said this. An incredible thing. Imagine when he said that in Shul, you know, if you were there, it's pretty, uh, pretty harsh. Bottom line, there's a Dim the same way, you know... Right, right, but usually, you know, when it came to the Holocaust, even today, in the Litvish, many Litvish people, and I've heard from many of them, give uh, explanations of why it happened, why God let it happen, why God made it happen. And the Rebbe unequivocally threw it all out and said that, that we have no right to even no, no, go there. No one knows why. No, right. no, no one knows the Ebishas and Dinvah Yeah, yeah. Like and, there's, and, there's, and there's, it's, we're barking up the wrong tree. It's not, it's not of a benefit but to go there. Well, so right, no, but you're talking about there were big Litvishes, you know, I've heard them who gave all types of uh, strange... Uh, Listen, the Shach in Bnei Brak said that in 1990, by the Gulf War, he said it's going to be a repetition of the Holocaust because Jews in Israel, most of them aren't from. Huh. He said these words. He said these words, and the Rebbe came out by a famous Fabrengen in 1990, and the Rebbe Mamish wiped said, the floor with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what he says. Yeah, yeah, it does, it does. It does. But Shach said it's only if you keep mitzvahs. If you don't, the Psukim say clearly that the land will, will uh, vomit you out. But, but he said this, that God's going to bring another Holocaust. In other words, insinuating the reason why the first one happened was because of the lack of Torah and mitzvahs. Oh, and the Rebbe came out. I mean, I wasn't there, people. But it was 1990, not too long ago. And because you could see a written transcript. I mean, it was whew, fire. The Rebbe was 
appalled, appalled at such words. How could a Jew say such things? Uh, 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 Yep. Yep. Well, actually, even if a, a sharp sword is on your neck, you shouldn't stop praying. We're going to actually get to something. Fa- okay. So, uh, <clears throat> so the Taisus Yomtev said this. You know, he said the. So he made this mishabeirach, benching people if they're going to if they're going to zip it during during davening and shul. Incredible. The Taisus. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Who was the Toysus Yomtev's son? I know about his son. There's a story about his son. The Toysus, so that there was, hold on, let's get to it in just a second. Rab Shamshum was murdered in the city of, of um, uh, Polnor, near Mezhebush, in Polnor. And the story is recorded by Rab Nosan Nota Hanover, who wrote the Yvain Metzula, who was a student of Rab Shamshum. And he writes about the event. He says the Goyim came to the city of Polnar. Reb Shamshin went into the shul. 300 balabatim he took with him. And they were all greise chachomim. And they were all wearing their taluses. And they were davening. And the Goyim came and killed all of them. Now, I don't know if they set the shul on fire or how they did it, but they killed all of them. Now, does... <clears throat> The Ramchal, I don't have this on the paper. We'll do it, we'll do, all right. No, don't worry. No, we're not going to be a silly. Oh, boy. Okay. The, no, no, we're going to be finished soon. The Ramchal, the great Kabbalist the Ramchal, wrote a sefer called um, uh, Eitz Achayim. And in it, he brings a short story. He says that right before them, or maybe as the massacres were starting to begin, Reb Shamshin summoned the Samachmem, the evil angel in heaven, the Satan. And he asked him, what's going on? Why is this happening? And the Samach Mem, which is the, the name of the Malach is Samach Mem Aleph Lamed. We don't pronounce the name, so we just say the Samach Mem. He said, listen, let's make a deal, strike a deal. If you, the Yidin, give up uh, Shabbos, Bris Miller, and learning Torah, no one has to die. So why should it be Jews? <laughs> Reb Shamshin said, listen, we're not giving up even a drop, even the edge of the letter Yud. We're not giving up. And the Samach Mem basically Yud. says, well, listen, you know, if that's your decision, that's your decision. Reb Nassim Nata Hanover says that Reb Shamshin, his teacher, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He heard from the Samach Mem, there ain't going to be no mercy, no compassion. So, so Rabbi Shamshin went to his shul in Polnar and he said, Chuvaton, you got to do tshuva, you got to do tshuva. And he made a, 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 you know, an awakening amongst many communities and the Jews became people coming more from overnight. But says the Yevain Metzula, they did tshuva, but it was too late. It was too late. 
it was too late, and all the kahilas in that area were killed. It reminds me of uh, maybe whenever we learn Mas- one. Maybe it wasn't too late. It was uh, in time to get into Ganeda. <laughs> Going to a better place. Whenever we learn Masechta Saita, there's a, a sefer called Dvar Shaul, which was written by a guy recent, Shaul Kasovsky Shachar. And uh, he lived in the last century, and he was a young man, a prodigy, very clever, and he wrote an unbelievable sefer on Masechta Saita called Dvar Shaul, unbelievable. And he was a young man. He was destined for greatness, and he became extremely ill. And one of his friends came to visit him right before he passed away. And this Shol Kasovsky Shachar was, he was Mamish, destined to be one of the Gedele Yisrael. Mamish, a brilliant mind, and he was lying there very ill. And he told his friend that, I know why the Abish is doing this to me. I can understand why. But I thought I had rectified it. I thought I had cleansed it all up. But apparently, as much as I did, it just wasn't enough. Last words. Incredible. Incredible. Last words. Anyhow. Yes. Yeah. Passed away? Passed away. Passed away. Out of illness. Illness. Was an illness. A young man. A brilliant scholar. You know, you have... Uh, you always have some brilliant people and right, left the world when they were young. And it's, you know... And, and uh, but this is a recent story. Anyhow, there's... Barak upon him... It says in Yevain Metzula that Shamshan tried to make an awakening, and he did! And people were getting more from and everything. But I guess it was maybe too little too late. And uh, horrible. There is another episode with Rab Shamshan. And that is told over by Rab Isser Zalman Meltzer, who was a, a big Litvish Agon. In Eretz Yisrael, he actually he had a beautiful, he had a nice shaykhus uh, to Lubavitch. We spoke about him in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, you heard. There's letters. Okay. Nonetheless, afilohachi. Nonetheless, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole. There's lots of. Well, I spoke about it once. Anyhow, Reb Isser Zalman Meltzer tells over the following: that Reb Shamshin heard from an angel in heaven. You want this to stop? Two of the greatest tzaddikim have to pass away. We'll see soon why. You mm. plus the shach, Reb Shabsi Koyin. Shabsi Koyin was then about 27 years old. Reb Shamshin, 48. Reb Shamshin got hold of the shach and he told him that if we give up our lives, we can save. The shach said, I need three days to think about it. Three days? That's a, yeah, a couple communities done. I need three days. Comes back in three days and the shach says, I'm sorry, I'm still working on my work, the shach on Shulchan Aruch, the Sif Koyen. I need three months until I finish the work. Until then, I can't go. And Rav Shamsh said, three months, thousands of Jewish lives. And the shach said, nonetheless, I need to finish this. That's the tradition of Isser Zalman Meltzer. It's fraught with questions. First of all, the Shach didn't die three months later. He passed away in the early 1660s. So maybe you'll say, you know, once he didn't take the deal, the whole deal was off. All right. That's, I don't know. That's clear. In addition, though, the Rebbe would always speak about the story of Rabbi Yosef Kara, that had Rabbi Yosef Kara merited, he would have died al-Kiddush Hashem, 
but because he had some deficiency, therefore he was left to write the Beis Yosef and the Shulchan Aruch, which means it's greater to give up your life as a Yid than to write Svodim and Halacha, which is against the story over here. All right, I'll let you think about that. But either way, what? It makes the story... Okay, so either way, no, he what? That story, he should have given up. That's my question. Yeah, That's one of the against, questions. Yeah. It's against the story. Why? The story is he didn't do the right thing. Which means it's an ish, It's a kasha on that story. It's a kasha on the person. That why didn't he give up? Therefore, maybe the story is not. It's not really documented. It's passed. That's not written in Svarim. I'm questioning the story. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because if he was the right thing, he would have done it. Yeah, based on what the Reb explains. What? No, the other. No, the the Rabbi Yosef. No, he lost his his merit because he had a deficiency. No, he chose. He chose. He chose. Okay, I'm just asking a question. Obviously, you can go deeper and maybe explain. But I'm just pointing out that it's uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, another shear. Another shear. Okay, hold on. We got to. We got to. We got to go. We got to go. No, 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 no. The person who said the story was Isser Zalman Meltzer. Passed away 70 years ago. And how did he, who did he hear the oh, story? He was a big Talmud Chacham. He heard it from, he was one of the greatest Brisker. students of Chaim Brisker. Reb Chaim Brisker used to say, when Isra Zalman comes to my shir, he opens up my mind. Isra Zalman, he had a tradition. Okay, we move. So here's really where the shir kind of begins, and that is that the strangest thing of all is there's a promise of the Zoyer. The Zoyer promised that in the year 1648, Mashiach was going to come. What am I talking about? Yeah, it's a Mafurish Zoyer. I wanted to get a copy, but uh, the library with all of its forum is locked. There's somebody, I know one person has the key, locked the key, threw the key in the bay. And therefore it's going to be locked until we destroy that door. So Akaponim, I couldn't get the Zoyer and the, the, the copy. It says in the Zoyer the following, I'll tell you the words. The Zoyer says black and white, Rabbi Lazar ben Aroch, the great student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, was sitting and he was depressed. He was caught up in thoughts and Rabbi Yeshua, his colleague, as we'll read in Pirkei this week, approached him. He said, you're the light of the world. Why is your face dark? And Rabbi Lazar ben Aroch said, all of our friends are looking when Mashiach's going to come. And I see it's in a very long time. And he says exactly the year. He said it's going to be in the year 5,408. Right? We're now in 5783. What's 5408? 1648. Tach, tach. That's when it's going to happen. And Elazar ben Aruch is saying 2,000 years ago, oh, it's in such a long time. It's going to be in the year 1648. And he says, I have a pasuk. Two psukim. Two psukim. Bezois yovoy Aaron ala Kodesh. When will Aaron go into the Kodesh Kodashim? In the year Zois. Zion, Aleph Tov, 408. Another pasuk in number nine. It's a pasuk in Bahar. Bishnas hayoyvel hazois. In the year of Yovel. Yovel means the year of freedom. Each man will go to his inheritance. Simply meaning, if you sell a piece of land in Eretz Yisrael, when it comes Yovel, you get the land back. But says the Zoya, black and white, you know when Yovel, when will the, the real freedom be? Ha Zois. Hey is 5,000. Zois is 408. What does it mean? Each man will return to his inheritance. Each soul will reunite with the body. 
Tchiyas HaMesim is going to happen then. It's a black and white Zoyer. Not just, and it's, it wasn't a secret, the great Kabbalists right before the 1648, the Ramak, Rav Moshe Kordovero, he passes away in 1570. He writes to Zoyer, he wants to make everyone aware about the Zoyer. The Chesed Lavram, the Chidot's great grandfather, Avram Azulai, the great Kabbalist, he dies in 1633. He also makes mention, and he's like, and he says, it's not going to, he says, when Mashiach going to come? Not past 1648. This is the last deadline of the Zoyer. It was a famous Zoyer, the Ramak tells us about it. Avram Azulai, we're going to see actually the Shach knew about it. Rabbi Shamshun, everyone knew about the Zoyer. They were waiting. 1648 is going to be redemption. Instead of the dead people coming alive, the living people. Strangest thing. The strangest thing. So here. So first of all, this whole idea of Bechal giving us a time when Mashiach is going to come. The, look at number five. Number five is a sefer called Shailas Atshuvas Min HaShamayim. Written by one of the Rishonim, Rabbi Yankov of Marvish or Maroy, however you pronounce the name, of the city in France. And uh, he's also known as Rabbeinu Tam. Many Rishonim with the name Yankov were called Rabbeinu Tam. There's the famous one as Rashi's grandson. But then there were others, also there's a few others who were nicknamed Rabbeinu Tam as well. And so was this guy. Uh, this guy, this great person. And he was famous for asking questions before he went to sleep, and in his dreams he would get answers. And look at number five, question number 72. He asked, when is Mashiach going to come? He woke up in the morning, this was one time he got no answer. Everything else he got an answer. This question he got no answer. He got no answer. Look at number six. Rabbi Reuven Margolis, the great Torah scholar, Reuven Margolis, he died about 60 years ago. Exactly. So he wrote, he put out what? The librarian in Tel Aviv. Unbelievable. He was like, he knew every single sefer. The Rebbe has a letter to him and he says, you know everything, but what about Chabad Chassidus? Because he knew lots of Kabbalah, two tons, incredible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, what? What did he answer? We don't have that. He probably learned to, he must have, he learned everything. He learned everything. And he was uh, unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. Look at number six. So says Reuven Margolis, on his footnotes on the Shiloh, Shuvah Shemayim, even though the, the rabbi say in Sanhedrin 97b, Tipach Atzman Kitsin, that those that to calculate the cats, the end of days, they should be um, explode, full of air. They should have a harsh end. In in the first parak, it said if someone gives a time for Mashiach to come, he loses a portion of the world to come. So what's going on? So he says, the Gemara concludes that you know why it's a problem? It's a problem for those people who say, ah, once the Ketz came and Mashiach didn't come, it's never going to come. That's when it's an issue. But if someone's a real believer... And he's only giving an end out of hope, out of belief. But even if it doesn't come, he'll still believe. Then it's okay. Because for such people, giving a ketz is exciting. It, 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 you know, it gets you involved. It, it, it uh, awakens your belief in God. There's only, it's a win-win. That's what he says in number six. 
The truth is, we'll have a shir mitzvah. I want to have a shir at some point, going through all the people in history who gave a ketz when Mashiach's going to come. And uh, what do you mean? There is a whole emuna that the calendar is finishing at six thousand. No. Yes, yeah, so Gemara. Is that katuv be Gemara? No, 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 no. That can't happen. <laughs> the truth is, the Reb, the Rebbe gave the year uh, nineteen ninety. In Tavshin Nun, he quoted the Medrash, the Tahigiyaz Man Gulaschem. And the truth is, the Vilna Gaon held the same way. The Vilna Gaon learned it from a Gemara in Sanhedrin that it has to happen three quarters into uh, the sixth millennia, which is the year 1990 was 750. Tavshin Nun. Anyhow, but we'll say that for another Shibrak upon him. What? Listen, the Alter Rebbe gave, the Alter Rebbe, right, famously, that the, the, there was a certain Ketz, and when it came, the Rebbe Marash told the Tzemach Tzedek, what happened to the Mashiach who was supposed to come? The Tzemach Tzedek said, what do you mean? Lekuta Torah was printed. That, 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 that's a revelation. What's Mashiach? Revelation of God? Lekuta Torah. Then Rebbe Marash said, no, no, that's not what we were waiting for. We were waiting for the real deal. Not a taste, but the real deal. The real deal. Samach Vov was a Ketz. 1906, and the Rebbe Rashab revealed tremendous chassidus, and there were horrible program, pogroms in Russia in that year. And but well, let's say this for another time. But Akhopanim, Rabsadji gone gave the cats, the Rambam, people gave kits, and, and unfortunately, it, uh, each time, what it means is it was an opportune time, but you know, God found us wanting. Well, the, the Zoya gave the cats, sorry, of 1648, and people thought it was for real. What? <laughs> right, right. The Daniel gives a few different numbers at the end of Sefer Daniel. And there's lots of opinions of how to interpret it. That's what Rab Sadi Gon in the Munas Vadeus tries to figure it out. The Ibn Ezra says even Daniel didn't know what it, what it meant. So how are we supposed to figure it out? Etc. etc. But like I said, we're gonna save that for another shear. But upon him, how could it be that the Zoya gave this catch and what happened was Punkapoyos, it was the worst, worst atrocities. How'd that happen? So there was somebody alive during 1648, and he lived, his name was Reb Heschel, Reb Heschel of Krakow. There were two people, just, just to clarify. There were two people called Reb Heschel of Krakow, very important. Both of them were teachers of the Shach, Reb Shabsikoyen. One's name was Yeshua Heschel, and he was a rov in Krakow, and he died in 1648, not from the Chemelnitsky pogroms. He stopped died during that year, as far as I know. And he died in 1648, and he was known as the Magine Shlema. If you look at number seven, just to get a, a picture of who these people were, don't worry, it's going to go quick from now. We're well, almost done. Now, number seven, this is... Yeshua Heschel of Krakow's grandson talking. <coughs> Listen, rabbis, my grandfather told in the ears of his students while he was alive that Rashi once appeared to him and he told him with much joy and he said, fortunate are you in this world and in the next world because you saved me from the mouths of the lions of the sharp Baalei Teisvis because Yeshua Heschel wrote a whole sefer defending all Rashi from all of the kashas of Tesis. And Rashi said, I will come to greet you in the coming world with all of my students. And Takhava, exactly, we're in the middle of number seven. 
half an hour before this Yeshua Heschel passed away in the year 1648 in Krakow, the G'dayli Yisrael of Krakow came to his bedside and he told them the following, make space because our teacher, the light of our eyes, Rashi, Rabbi Nishloemi Yitzchaki has come with all of his holy retinue with him and is receiving me with joy to show me the path of life because I stood to his defense to answer the kashas of Tesis against him. And that's why he called the name of his Sefer Mogine Shloima, the shield of, the shield of Shloima. So this is Yeshua. You see, they were talking about incredible Torah scholars, holy men. Rashi came to him to thank him. Rashi's there when he's dying. Yeshua Heschel of Krakow. He dies in 1648. How did he get his job in Krakow? Look at number eight. Moreno Harav Nosen Shapiro. This is the Megala Amukus. The Megala Amukus Nosen Shapiro was a rov in Krakow. He dies in 1633. He dies in 1633. And he was Zokin he was old, and they asked him who should be the next rabbi. And he made a Shilas Cholom, he made a question in a dream, and he got an answer from heaven. It says in Pasha's Kisisa, Hinini Oymid Shamlofanecha, Hashem tells Moshe, I will stand before you, Al Atsur on the rock. Hinini Oymid Shamlofanecha is Roshatevis Heschel, Al Atsur is Gematria Krakow. So that's why the Heschel needs to come. So the, the Yeshua Heschel, the Mogine Shloima, comes in the mid 1630s. He's there for 15 years roughly. He dies in 1648. He was a teacher of the Shach. But there was another fellow called Avram Yeshua Heschel, who was also a rabbi in Krakow a couple years later. And he was also a teacher of the Shach. And he's known as the Rebbe Reb Heschel. There's two different people. The Rebbe Reb Heschel. And he lives through the 1648. And he did everything he could to help the Jewish communities that were massacred. He traveled around with Goisha diplomats, Yiddish Gvirim. He mamash tried to turn over the world. And uh, he was involved with being Matir Agunus. By the way, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, just to throw in a story, Rabbi Yaakov Emden has a sefer called Megillah Sefer, where he writes an autobiography about himself. In the introduction, he speaks about his, uh, a story that happened to his Zayda. Rabbi Yaakov Emden's father is the Chacham Tzvi. The Chacham Tzvi's father's name is Yaakov. This Yankov was um, newly married in the year 1648. And when the Cossacks came to his town, he was taken outside. The Cossacks were slaying people. One Cossack, he told this Yaakov, kneel! He kneeled in front of him. The Cossack took his sword and was ready to swipe. And there were a couple hidden from the distance that were watching. They, they, all of a sudden, the Cossack, instead of cutting off, he uh, picks up his sword and with the, the handle of the sword, gives him a zetz to Yaakov and he says, dirty Jew, go run for your life. Rabbi Yankov doesn't need to hear twice. He runs. The problem is he knows that just because this Cossack left him off the hook, the other guys are going to kill him. So he ran amongst the other slain bodies. This is, I'm telling you word for word what Yankov Emden writes. He lies amongst the other slain bodies that were lying there, feigning dead. During the day, he didn't move an inch. At night, when it was dark, he felt it was safe. So then he went and tried to find food. 
It was for over a week until the Cossacks left town. Now, in the meantime, his wife and his wife's parents had, you know, they had left town. They'd left, you know, in the nick of time, they had been separated. So his wife and Shver were living elsewhere. And uh, everyone thought he was dead because witnesses had seen the Cossack pick up his knife. He screamed, kneel. And uh, they didn't know the end of the story that he ended up uh, surviving. The woman, there was talk of the woman remarrying. And the question came to Reb Heschel. Bianca Venn says it came to Reb Heschel. I assume it's the Rebbe Reb Heschel of Krakow, the second one who was alive at the time. And Reb Heschel heard from numerous witnesses who saw the death. He passed because she could remarry. So the woman got the okay. Something, in, it says Bianca Vemden that something in his, uh, in his Baba's heart told her that her husband's still alive. She felt it. She wouldn't remarry. It took six months for her husband to find out where the family had moved to and to travel there. And he shows up. He shows up. And you can imagine that his wife, when she sees her husband, you know, it was a, it was a happy end to that particular story. Says Rabbi Yankiv Emden, when, when Rabbi Heschel saw what happened, he said, you know what? I'm not passing on any more Agunas Shilas at all. I'm not touching any more Agunas. Baruch Hashem that this didn't end up in Mamzerim. But he said, I don't trust myself. And he said, the truth is, I don't trust witnesses. It's a time of war. People don't know exactly what they see. And he refused to be matir any more Agunas. So other Abonim had to do it. The Tzemach Tzedek, the Rabbi Nachem Mendel Kruchmal, who was a great Rav at the time. He was involved in being Matir Agunas and also the Heschel and others. The Taisus Yomtev. Yeah, that's the Rogachava. The Rogachava once said something sharp about the Tzemach Sedek. They asked the Rogachava, Tzemach Sedek, you're a rabbi? No, I'm talking about the first one. The first one. And yeah, in fact, the Tzemach Sedek, I'll tell you, we have a tshuva of his that there was a story in Tachvetat. There was a Yiddish man it's black and white. You can see, the, I think it's true, uh, response to number 70. He says that there was a man who saw that his wife had been abducted by the Goyim and she apparently had converted to save her life and uh, the Yid survived. He comes to another town. What is he? He wants to marry another wife. Ira Benu Gershom said, you can't marry your second wife. Yeah, but if the first wife has converted to another religion, you know, the, 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 yeah, she has no more defense. And the Tzemach Sedek, the question came to the Tzemach Sedek. And the Tzemach Sedek... Before years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was during the... This was a story during the... He died, he passed away in 1661. He was a very active rabbi in the time of the Chimonisky massacre. This is a story that he actually had about a story then. He says he heard all the witnesses. He says, the woman abandoned Yiddishkeit. Because she didn't... What did she do? She allowed the guy to take her to his house. She didn't want to die. Meaning, the, you don't know, that she didn't willingly abandon Yiddishkeit and therefore he wanted to paskin that she does not lose her right to Rabbeinu Gershom's rule that her husband has no right to marry another wife. And that Sembach said that got big flack because of it. Because, well, it's just Rabbeinu Gershom's harem, what's the big deal? And that Sembach Sedek says, a little while later, the woman shows up and she's as frum as ever. And the whole story unraveled that the Adim didn't know exactly what they saw and this and that and the other. And the Tzemach said, I thank the Abishter that I trusted my gut. So you had these types of stories that, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Here's just two stories that the Aidim who testified didn't you know they thought they saw this and that. Fascinating stuff. Anyhow, the point of all this is that Reb Heschel of Krakow took upon himself to rebuild Yiddishkeit in Ukraine and Poland. The problem is, everyone asked him, what about the Zoyer? The Zoyer promised Mashiach's going to come. And it was the wor- worst year. Hundreds of thousands of Jews, even, even, even tens, of, tens of thousands of Jews. Horrible. Communities destroyed. What happened to the promise of the Zoyer? So I'm going to show you what he says. Look at the next page. We're going to do this quick. First, you've got to see number 10. This is mamish unbelievable. Number 10 is a famous story of Masechta Sanhedrin. Um, go the first line, a couple words in. Rabbi Shua ben Levi found Elio Anovi. Elio was standing a pischa de ma'art of Rabbi Shimon. Number 10, the end of the first line. Elio Anovi was standing in the entrance of the gate, of the cave, sorry, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. But Pashtus, it means the actual cave where Rashbi spent 12, 13 years. Omar Lay, Rabbi Shuban Levi asked him, Elijah, Asina, will I come to the world to come? Omar Lay, he said, if God wants. Yeah, if God wants, he'll come, you know. Imyutsa Hashem. Omar Rabbi Shuban Levi, he said, shamati. I saw two people, me and Elio, but I heard the voice of three. I heard the voice of God. When will Mashiach come? Go ask him. Go ask him. So where is he? Elio says, the entrance of the city of Rome. Bishua says, How will I identify him? Says he sits amongst the poor. the Khalim who have uh, maladies, physical illnesses. What? All of the rest, they first take off all their bandages and then they, re, uh, then they reapply. But this guy, Mashiach, he does one at a time. He undoes, he takes off one, puts on a new one, one at a time. Because maybe he will be summoned to redeem the Yidin. Shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't have to, if he's, if he's going to be completely unbandaged, then to rebandage himself will take a long time if it's from top to bottom. Which means, you know, that Mashiach is going to come, come as a mummy, you know, he's going to come as... Also <laughs> Legabe, so Yeshua ben Levi found him. Armalei said, Shalom Aleichah, Rabbi Omeri, peace on you. Armalei, Shalom Aleichah, Barlevoi, peace on you, the son of Levi. Says Rabbi Yeshua, Le'emos Asema, when are you coming? He says, Hayoim today. I'm coming today. Guess what happened? He didn't come. So Asa Sabishu went back to Elio. Armalei and Elio said, My Armalach, what did Mashiach tell you? He said, Shalom Alecha Barlevoi. He gave, he said, Peace on to you, the son of Levi. Says Elio, he promised that that's a promise that you and your father are members of the world to come. Fine. But says Rabbi Yeshua, Shakuri Kashakabi, he lied to me. He said, I'm coming today. He didn't come. Says Elio, you misunderstood. Hachi Armalach, you know what he meant? He meant the Pasuk in Tehillim. Hayoim today, in It's the beginning of a pasuk. Today, if you brackets, if you listen to my voice, the Reb actually once asked, but that's not what Mashiach said. Mashiach just said the word Hayoim. He didn't quote the rest of it. He said Hayoim. And the Rebbe said, in the eyes of Mashiach, it's always today. Mashiach believes that every today the Eden are going to be virtuous. 
in Mashiach's eyes, it's taka today, because it's going to be Bekeilis Hishmo. And then unfortunately, we let him down. Okay, so now that you know this, look at number 11. Number 11 is the Sefer of Reb Heschel, called Chanukah's HaTorah. Bezois Yovay Aaron Alakaydish is going on that Pasuk in Achremus. Says Reb Heschel, Pshata de in number 11, line number 2. And the simple meaning of the Pasuk is, Bezois Yovay Aaron. What does it mean, Zois Aaron will come? Rem is al Tov Ches. It was a hint on the year 1648. It's Man Because Zois is Gematria Tov Ches. And like I said, it's a Mephudosh Zoyer. But Va'aftuloi Boa, Frek Repeshul, it's amazing, you know, he's writing about what he experienced. He didn't come. He didn't come. Nechakaloi, we got a hope to him. Why? Because you have to know what the Zoyer meant. If you ever open up a machzer, when you say unasana toikif, utshuva utfila utstaka mavirinus roya hagzera, there are words on top of tshuva, tvila, and staka. On top of tshuva, it says tsoim fasting. On top of tfila, it says curl a voice. On top of staka, it says mom and money. As, as if it, every, every machzer has it, as if you have to explain what staka is. I mean, what's, what's going on? So says Reb Heshel, What holds back redemption is tshuva, tefillah, and stoka. They are tsoim, koil, and momin, as it says in every single machser. We don't even know who put it there. Maybe it was always there. Maybe those words were always there. But kol chad begematria kufavl, each one equals 136. Tsoim is 136. That's tshuva. Koil, which is tefillah, is one third. So to is momin. All together equals 408. Four oh zois. Zois is not the year. Zois is a combination of tshuva, tefillah, and staka. Lerama is in bekoil yisishmo to hint to the fact that when Mashiach going to come, if you have zois, what's zois? Zois is tshuva, tefillah, and staka. So just like the pasuk of Hayoim today, is contingent if you listen so to the year 408 is contingent on the avoid of 408 and that's what it means and then this is the Pirish in the passage it's beautiful you know what those words mean from heaven from heaven we heard 408 from the Zoyer we heard 408 1648. How did the Pasuk end? It's a wonder in our eyes. Mashiach didn't come. What's the next Pasuk? Hashem is waiting for today. But just like the word today, Rabbi Shubin Levi thought it meant today on the calendar. But really it meant today, do the will of Hashem and then Mashiach will come. So too, that's what Zeus means. So me'eis Hashem hoisa zois Hashem said four oh eight. The flies beinena. We're waiting. Ze hayoyim hayoyim. When God says hayoyim, when God gives a day, it means in bekoilus hishmo. Yavol isa begemar perichelik. Rabbi Shulben lays the Mashiach. When are you going to come? He said hayoyim. You're a liar. No, no, no. And look at the last line. He says v'lozeh kiven hakrohazeh. Now you understand the second pasuk. Or ze hayoyim asa Hashem nogila. God's waiting for today, but when God says Hayoim, it's like David says in Tilim, Imbekoil Ishmo. So Zois means the same thing.
This is what Reb Heschel has in his Sefer. Now, he actually didn't write the Sefer. His students wrote the Sefer. But this was a response to explain what the Zoyer said. And he was mafash, he publicized it. He said, don't give up. We all got it wrong. Just like God, Mashiach said today. Yeah, today, on the calendar, today, whatever the date is today. But today, if you listen to the will of God, so to Zeus, 408, yeah, you could have it in that year, but if you have 408 of if you look at number 12 in the Pardis Yosef, he says, the Mukubolim showed everybody that the year of Mashiach is Zeus, Gematria 408. And so to the Holy Goyen, Reb Shamshin of Ostropolia. Reb Shamshin of Ostropolia publicized Mashiach's coming in 408. And when the year passed and didn't come, Yisrael, Noflu B'yiyosh, they didn't give up. Or Pirsim Adoni Avis Keni Hashach. The Shach publicized, the Kol Ker, the Shach publicized news that we all missed the Pshat and the Zoyer. Me'eis Hashem Hoysa Zois. Zois is the year 408. God agreed on that year, but then it never happened. Nifloas Beineinu. Avozayim Os Hashem. What's lacking is the te- today, and the same Gemara in Sanhedrin. So the Pardis Yosef quotes this that the Shach publicized it. You see in number 11, it's from Reb Heschel. Well, the Shach was a student of Reb Heschel. So what happened was apparently when the Shach heard his Pshat from his teacher, he went around everywhere and he told them. He told them that this is the Pshat. Now the truth is, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that redemption is like birth of a baby. Before the birth, lots of pain. Before Mashiach comes will be Chevle Mashiach, the pains of Mashiach. So the truth is when all these, the, all this Jewish blood, many Yidin felt this, this is the prediction of the Zoyer. This is just the birth pangs of Mashiach. And that's why when Shabzai Tzvi, you know, rears his head a couple years later, 1666 was the big year Shabzai Tzvi, less, only 18 years and 17 years after this. People bought into it because it all made sense then. It made sense that the promise of the Zoyer was true. And 1648 was the beginning. It's the beginning of the birth. Labor, labor pains. And that's why Shabtatsi got such a big following. It was very much because of this Zoyer. But you see the Heschel and the Shach tried to publicize. It's not about a calendar date. It's about us getting our act together. Now this takes us to the last point. This is fascinating. There's a... Um, <clears throat> look at number 15. Reuven Margolis again. He says, look in the Sefer, Ur La Yeshorim, from the Goyen Rebzorach Eidelitz. Rebzorach Eidelitz was a big uh, Kabbalist, a, a scholar in Prague. And uh, the Noi de Behuda was a big fan of his, etc. Uh, after the times of the Noi de Behuda, 1700s. Uh-huh. In Drush Gimel, he bring, he says, it's a mitzvah to be mafarsim, what the Goyen Mareinor of Fivish said. About the Zoyer, Bezois Yovayaron, Harikvar Kola Kola Ketz, but at the time passed, nothing happened, Dain Loiba. And Rabzorch Eidlis quotes the same vort of the Shach and Reb Heschel and this Reb Fivish, that it's the Tsoim Kol Momen, it's the 3 136, it's the 408. And then he says, This is hinted in the tradition. What tradition? I have two psukim on the page, 13 and 14. Tell me what you think. Look at number 13. Go back to number 13. Yeah. How come Ben Yishai didn't come? Not today, and not yesterday, not today. This is the big question. Where's Mashiach? How come Ben Yishai hasn't come? Not yesterday, not today. 
Look at number 14. Apostle can shmeis. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paro tells us when the Yidin were told that they have to make their own straw, right, then the number of bricks will not be diminished. Why didn't you finish your quota? Lulboin, to make the bricks like yesterday, they before Very similar pasuk. Very similar. Only two psukim in, uh, in Nach. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so I can tell you because these these people say it too, you know. So the this guy in Reb Fivish that Reb Zorach quotes number fifteen, and some other people said like this. You know what these two psukim are telling you? One of them is asking the Jewish question on the Zoyer, and the other one is giving the answer of Reb Heshel. Number thirteen is the Kasha, Madua Loibo Ben Yishai. Why didn't Ben Yishai come when? Gam Tmol Gam Hayoim. What's Tmol Gam Hayoim? Tof? Gimel? Hey. So the hey is 5,000. No, 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 no. The hey and the Gimel is Ches, and the Tof is 408. Why didn't, why, Loibor Ben Yishai, why didn't Mashiach come? Tmol Gam Hayoim. Why didn't he come in the year 408? What happened to the promise? Where's, where's Ben Yishai? Isn't there a calendar date that's going to happen? So the answer is, what does God respond in number 14? God responds, why didn't we finish our quota? Why didn't the Jews do what they have to do? We have our own 408. We have our own tough gimel hei. So the pastor Shoal is screaming, the Yidden's Tainer. Why didn't Ben Yishai come in Tmol Gamayim? Where was he? And the response is what Paris says, Why don't we, we have to do our part, which is the 408. A fascinating thing. And this was publicized by many people that lived through the massacres to comfort people. What happened to the promise of the Zoyer? And the answer is that we got to get our act together. You know, the Rav says in Sanhedrin, all the dates have passed, it just depends on Shuva. We just got to get our act together. We got to get our act together. And that was supposed to... Yeah. It's a Gemara. Yeah, 2,000 years ago you said it. But if you think about the sequence of events, everything went perfect, meaning exactly how it should be. During their times, they had all the, all the um, anti-Semitism. Now, today, Baruch Hashem, there is none of that. It's never going to happen again. I don't think it's, it can happen again. There's too much positive in the world. There's too many... You hope so. You know, there's too many goyim that already, you know, they, they're encouraging goodness, like America's... I'm talking about there's no open open massacres anymore. It ain't happening anymore. Uh, at least... At least... Every day, every day, every day, every day. People getting killed by terrorists yeah, every but day. It's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, you hope if you, if, if Goyim like would have if Goyim would have their way, yeah, all, the, all these way. white they Americans. Anyway, but what, what's the point you're trying to bring out? Let, let's hope Taka, you're right. It'll never happen again. Right now, we are already in the days of Mashiach. Oh, the birth pangs are over. The physical birth. Yeah, the holiday. That's it. And where the baby's coming out. Yeah, when the days of Michelle, there's a lot of chef in the world. There's there's an abundance of food. There's a lot of, uh, you know, this is not, this is a, uh, this is the beginning. 
There's going to be many stages. Many stages. Right, but well, question: What does that mean? Will be destroyed? Right. The Shalor writes that there's going to that you know it says in Yeshaya that in contrast to leaving Egypt, which was Borachon, we fled. Now we're not going to be in haste. There's nothing to run from. It's going to be a slow progress. These are all signs of Mashiach. The Rebbe would say all of the peace and everything today, these are all strong signs that the coming is imminent. But not that it's... The ultimate end is imminent. Right, it's imminent. And these are already a foretaste. But the actual coming of Mashiach hasn't begun. Right. It's, this is a, a it taste. Says, it also when Mashiach comes, the ultimate days, it means we're never going to die. I mean, it's going to be, yeah. be alive forever. It's a whole not, it's my Torah Hadash, how no, we understand that. There's what it's like is, is a well-known, Repinchas Koritzer gave a well-known marshal that why is the times of the Beis HaMikdash, yet the Tanoim, Kabbalists, they saw so much. And then, you know, a thousand years ago, very few Yidin were Kabbalists, very few Yidin actually perceived God. Who had Ruach HaKadosh? Very few people. And then a couple hundred years ago, boom, you have hundreds of Chesidosh Rebbe's, all of a sudden it's come back. You know, we've gone, we've, we've gone back. It's like the times of the Beis HaMikdash again. And the Pichas Koritzer said, it's very simple. You have a town with a lot of light. Yeah, you leave the town. You're walking away. Every step you take, it's a little bit darker. A little bit darker. A little bit darker. Until it gets almost completely dark. But you're going somewhere. You're going to another town. As you start to approach the other town, it starts to get light. And every step you take closer, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. So he says, when we left the second base Hamikdash, so the times of the Tanoim, Amaroim, the light diminished, 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 until there were the dark ages, you know, literally the dark ages, right? The medieval times. Mom, it's finster, it's dark. Then by the time the Arizal came on the scene, we started getting closer, so the light starts to shine. And that's why 200 years ago, there were so many Chesidah Shadebbas, because the light of Mashiach was... So then you would think, though, today, should Mamish be? Mamish should be... Uh, there is a that's fire. why we have, we have the Rebbe greater than any yeah. other Rebbe. There's, there's a famous dollar, so someone went by the Rebbe and asked him, dollar, can happen again. So, so the problem... Morgan in the free. Morgan in the free. Tomorrow. Yeah, what? what did he mean by that?